So tonight, we're actually going to key on in just a couple of verses. Um, uh, actually, earlier in the week, I was tempted to skip this passage, but as I read it, um, I began thinking, I'm like, you know what, this is the third time we've seen a passage similar like this in Scripture. Now, let me tell you something. If you're reading a book or if you are listening to a lesson and someone repeats something and they repeat it again, what does that typically cue into? This is kind of important, right? What was that? That's going to be on the test. That's going to be on the test, yeah. That's a good way. Yeah, so um, the passage we're looking at tonight, this is the third time we're going to see a passage like this where Jesus actually gives a prediction about his suffering, about how he's going to die. And so we're just going to look at three verses, maybe four, if I know how to count. Um, four, three, three verses. So, um, so Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, I'll read the passage for us. And I'll pray and then we will <clears throat> talk about it. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, it says this. Let you guys get organized there. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And we just ask that you would help us help this hour to be a labor of love. Lord, help us to, um, to listen with hearts of humility. Lord, for your word says that you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. Lord, help my words now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, it was May of 2014, and I, uh, I went to Bible college right after high school, and I did four years of that, and then right after Bible college, I became an assistant pastor at a church in the suburbs of Chicago, and during that time, I went to seminary, and I did full-time school while working full-time, and so just kind of imagine seven years of full-time school. It just it gets old after a while, right? It was just a lot of papers, a lot of Hebrew, a lot of Greek. And, and more than that, um, the August before this May, my wife and I had twins. And, and more than that, in this May, um, I had just accepted an offer to be the youth pastor at Hope Community Church, which is right here. And all I had to do was to get through two finals. Two finals were right there ahead of me, okay? So... Um, I don't know if you do this yet, but I definitely in college, you, there's some classes where you're just praying to get through. Lord, if I can just get a C, I will get on my knees, right? Like, um, so there's this class, it was uh, called um, Prophets and, and Poetry. So in essence, all of the poetic books of the Bible in the Old Testament, you kind of scan through all the Hebrew and all of the um, prophetic parts. So all the prophets... And so the prophetic parts of the one professor beginning the semester, and then halfway through you switch and you get this different guy, and he teaches the poetic parts. And um, I literally, to this day, if I meet people 
who go to the same seminary as I, as I, I ask them, like, hey, did you have Dr. McGarry for anything? And if they say yes, there's this common kinship in how we have suffered together. And one of those people is actually Andrew and Adam's dad. Their dad, Eric, went to the same seminary as me. And the first thing I, I, I met him, he said he went to Tez. like, did you have McGarry? He's like, oh, yeah. Come here. Like, um, so I'm like... And here's the thing in seminary, too, like a 75 is a D. Like, okay, I think I had to get a 78% just to get um, a C- minus in the class, right? Ridiculous. And I'm, I'm sitting there like hard 76. Like, I am doing my absolute best. Like, to this day, I still don't know if this professor realizes that, like, as students, we have other classes other than his. Like, um, I remember coming here one time to candidate to kind of preach and staying up till 4 a.m. in the morning doing homework for this class that was back in... Chicago, because uh, of how much work he gave. And so I'm sitting there, and I, I call up, like, the, the, the vice dean of my school, and I said, hey, man, listen up. I honestly can't tell you if I'm going to pass this class. I have a 76, but my parents, my aunt uncle, my brother's coming from Virginia. If I pass the class, like, or if I don't pass the class, will I still be able to walk at graduation? He's like, yeah, the grades aren't posted until, like, two weeks after, so... You might walk and then not get the degree. I'm like, I don't care. All right. Hang up, right? Okay. Mom and dad's still going to see me in a cap and gown. They don't need to know if I don't pass this class or something like that. Right? But, um, and, I was, and I'm like, and I'm moving. Like, it, it's happening. Like, I can't just stay here and take one class over. So I don't know what to do here. And so I, for like two days, I'm like, babe, start packing stuff. But I'm going to be in the library. And I studied I studied and I studied and I like I don't know what I'm studying here. I don't even know. like it's too hard, and I'm, I'm constantly just taking it in. I'm t- I'm like I, I'm on this mission. Like I woke up like 6:30, alarm like clothes on in the car, library like just marching like n- n- no social media, no phone. I'm I'm just sitting there like don't even talk to me, Kevin, my friend. You know like just laser focus in. And I remember the day of the final came, or, like the night before, and I literally had a hard time sleeping. I'm like, seven years, all coming down to this one stupid test, right? And you know like, that anticipation you get on like a really, like, maybe you have a big championship game the next day, or you have some big recital, or you have some exciting trip, that you're doing, and that, that anticipation that's building, oh, man, it's like an all-time high, right? I wake up in the morning, boom, the, the final is at 1 o'clock. I was like, I'm going to go to the library early. I'm going to get a nice breakfast. I'm going to, like, I'm going to study. I'm going to cram as much as I can. And I, I walk into that, into that final Focused, determined, it was going to happen. Take it. And it's one of those like hard things where like you're not sure if you did well or like just horrible. Like, I mean, it was a lot of Hebrew. And I tell you, like, um, I, I did my best to study. But the thing with Hebrew, you look at it one day, the next day it's like hieroglyphics again. You're like, what is this even saying? So I, I take this test. And I'm like, okay, I did it. I can't worry about it anymore. Out of sight, out of mind. I, I graduate. I, I put my dog in my car. I begin to drive to Washington. I'm in the middle of, like, Wyoming. And I checked my grades. And it said B-. minus. I just threw my phone. I was like, <laughs> I did it. Are you kidding me? I, I was just like, I didn't even know what to do it. I just like, threw it behind me like, oh, I'm done thinking about this. And and uh, I don't know why I thought of this story when I considered Jesus' story here, right? There's somehow a tie, you're wondering, right? One, I think that, that feeling of anticipation 
uh, towards moving towards something big. For, for two weeks, I was stressing, I was worrying, but I was, I was aiming towards this one moment where I have this big task ahead of me. And like I mentioned last week, Jesus is on a one-way journey somewhere. And we actually get told right here, he says, and they were on the road going up to where? To Jerusalem. Jesus is on his mission, and he is he's leading his disciples, and he is going on a one-way ticket. He isn't coming back from this journey. He is going straight to the Mount of Crucifixion, to dying. But let's look at the details here for a second. What does it say? And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. It's almost like someone... Is, is militantly, aggressively walking straight into slaughter. Walking straight into their death. And a matter of fact, like if you knew you were heading down a one-way ticket to crucifixion, wouldn't you want to drag your feet a little bit? I guess we'll get there when we get there, guys. Jesus is walking ahead of them, and he says, hey, guys, I need to lead you in this way. And then the reason I said, again, I want, I want to pause on these couple of verses, because again, like I said, this is the third time Jesus has given us a passage like this where he's predicting his death, where he's predicting his suffering. And, and I think Jesus here, he's trying to cue us in to something unique about, as a Christian, what does it mean to suffer? And, and more than that, I think the question that I want to frame tonight's message off of is, is why did Jesus have to suffer? suffer? What was the purpose of Jesus having to come from heaven all the way to earth to be walking towards Jerusalem and telling his disciples that they're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. And so, so again, like what, what I want to do tonight is I want to examine this question. What is the purpose of Christ's suffering and death? Why did Jesus need to do this? And so I think we can try to tackle that by answering a few of these things of, of why do we suffer? There are a few different ways. So here's the, few, here's the first thing. One, we suffer for love. We suffer for love. Um, suffering, I want you to know, doing a lot of research this week, is a huge topic. And by, by a huge topic, I mean everyone has, every philosophy, every religion, every kind of psych, um, psychology type of group, they have their reasoning and understanding of suffering. That's kind of like one of the big questions in life. Why do bad things happen? Why do we suffer as, as human beings? And so some people in their camps might sing songs and they say something along the lines of like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Um, some people in their certain camps would say that, that suffering without it, it would be a life of meaninglessness, that you can't appreciate anything good in life if you didn't have something to compare it to. So suffering actually is the, the, the kind of axis to how we can even have any sense of meaning. But others say, other religions even, say that suffering itself is meaningless. And that we should try to avoid suffering at all costs. And, and I would say one thing, as, as Western Americans, that is very true about us. We hate to suffer. And so religions, uh, and one religion in particular, Buddhism, would be um, an example of this, were literally founded on the idea that suffering not only should be avoided, but that it can be avoided. 
right? So, so Buddhism says that, that all suffering is really tied down to this one thing, human desire. Because people desire things, that's when suffering happens. When someone desires too much of money, too much of sex, too much of, of anything, it ultimately leaves people in this huge kind of wake of destruction. And so the whole goal of Buddhism is to reach this enlightenment, to reach this idea that I will have no more desires and ultimately no desire leads to no suffering. But let me ask you a question. What is the Christian faith all about? Is the Christian faith the thing that we preach week in and week out here? Is it all about how to avoid suffering? Is it how to deal with suffering well? I mean, we talk about that. We're kind of talking about that tonight. But, it, but is that really the basis of our faith? What is the Christian faith about? The Christian faith teaches us this one thing. That everything and the ultimate goal of life is this one thing. You ready? Love. The Christian faith is all about love. To love God and to love your neighbor. To love God and to love your neighbor. So I mentioned we, that we suffer because we love. So here's the thing. If you love God, if you want to please him, if you want to obey him, if you love God, here is the inevitable reality of living in a simple world, that you at times will suffer for it. That loving God will at some times cost you pain, anxiety, loss, uh, detachment from other people. It will cost you at times your reputation in which can be a way of suffering. Loving God can even cost you your life. Every, imagine for a second, you know, you're sitting there in your room, you're all alone, your parents are gone, and um, you're just in a weird mood, and you're tempted to sin. And maybe you're with some friends even, and maybe you know this particular sin about you. That it kind of seems like whenever you're alone or whenever you're with a certain friends, you kind of struggle acting out in this way. But then, imagine for a second, the Holy Spirit in you starts kind of bringing conviction. And maybe you remember a verse or two, or a message you heard once, or a conversation you had with a friend, and you say, you know... I, don't, I shouldn't do this right now. This isn't really good. I, I know that this actually hurts my relationship with Jesus and, and it hurts other people too, so I'm not going to do it. And so you, you sit there, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. But then the temptation starts growing. Maybe you put it off for a day, maybe you put it off for five days, maybe you put it off for ten days. But, but whatever it is, that whatever this sin that you struggle with, the temptation is kind of like, it just wears on you. Right? Over and over again, you just feel tempted to do this sin. But when you say no, here's what I'd say. That, in a way, is suffering. You were kind of getting beaten down by the desires of your heart, maybe by even spiritual warfare. And because you love God, and you want to please him, and you say no, that is a type of suffering. But even more than that, to love your neighbor, to love others, I would say that comes at a incredible cost of suffering at times. An incredible cost. I mean, here's the thing, guys. As Christians, I mean, I was at a wedding this afternoon. Um, the wedding was at 3 o'clock, but it started at 3.20, so let you know that 
sometimes weddings don't go always as planned, but um, <clears throat> I would see there in their vows, you know what they say? I promise to put your interest above my own each and every day. You know what's funny? Almost eight years ago when I got married, I had no idea how hard those words actually were. <laughs> and not a clue. Not a clue. Throw kids in the mix, game over. <laughs> and here's the thing, though. Every single time you die to yourself and you think of your siblings, you respect your parents even when it's hard. When you get blamed for spilled milk even though it wasn't you and you choose to respond with gentleness and graciousness, that, that is a way of suffering. Like when, when you learn to think that, hey, it's not about me and I need to consider others better than my own like self, that, that is a way in which, listen, as Christians, like you will suffer if you love. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis talks about the one who loved the most suffered the most. That's Jesus. That, listen, to bring more relationships in, to bring more, you know, friends and people closer, the more you will suffer. You know what's hard about making a lot of friends? You ready for this? That friends leave. Friends leave. I, I mean, I, I made friends in my hometown of Tachapi, California, and I left. And I don't see or talk to them much at all. I made a lot of friends in Chicago. And I don't see or talk to them much anymore. I made friends here, and they left. And in a way, it kind of it hurts. It, like, it puts a hole in my heart every time I bring someone close. And then, whether by drama or by the simple fact of the transient life that we all live, people leave. And, and I think that the reason why we suffer and the reason why Christ suffers is because of love. Because of love. And those aren't things to be grudge. Those aren't things that are bad. Those are just the nature of it. That, that the more you love something, the more you are going to suffer for it. So, when we willingly enter into this suffering for love, for the love of God and the love of our neighbor, we are like the disciples. Following Jesus, who willingly entered into suffering. Do you imagine Jesus? He knows where he's going. He's like a pig going to slaughter. And what's he doing? He's ahead of the pack. It's almost like he is, it's test day. I'm ready. I'm going straight into that class. I'm going I'm to take my exam. I'm going to get my A. And Jesus, he, he's going straight into why? For love. For love. Because he loved his father. And because he loved us. But love is not the only reason we suffer, right? I think we all know that, that sometimes we suffer horrible things, uh, whether by um, people that we're close proximity to or just things that happen to us, right? I mean, did I get really a really painful ingrown toenail because I loved well, right? Did my friend uh, have a lot of heart issues at the age of 21 because he, he loved well? I mean, Here's the thing. The Bible clearly teaches that the second point is that we suffer because of sin. That living in a broken and fallen world, there is a sense in which every single person, no matter how hard they try to escape it or how much money they throw at it, 
We suffer because of sin. Uh, D.A. Carson in his book, How Long, O Lord, which is his Christian reflections on the issue of suffering and the problem of evil, he says this really interesting thing that stood out to me. He says, pain, or we could say suffering, pain either makes us bitter or better. A pain typically has two things in your life. One, it can make you shake your fist at God and say, God, how dare you do this? How dare you interrupt my life? How dare you do anything that I don't feel like I deserved? Or, pain can make us better. And what do we mean by that? Look at, consider Paul in Romans 5. He says, we rejoice, listen, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it produces perseverance. Later on, he would say elsewhere, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering has a way for Christians to open up our hearts and to ask God and to to, to plead for him to let us make something good out of our suffering. Lord, through this immense trial. What's up, Keegan? Oh, we're just talking about suffering. Um, imagine for a second. Imagine the hardest trial you've had in your life so far. And I, and I realize in this room, that's going to be a wide range of, you know, of a spectrum, right? But imagine the hardest thing that you've been through. Can you say that you... Honestly, with your heart, ask God, God, help me make good of this. Teach me patience, Lord. Ingrain it in me in this time, Lord. Lord, help me to be someone who asks for wisdom. Lord, teach me that, that your plans are better than my plans. Lord, Lord, ingrain into me obedience during this season. We pray that God would somehow bring something righteous out of our suffering, right? Because what, how discouraging would it be to know that sometimes we suffer the, the loss of a friend, the, the sickness of a loved one, of the financial ruin of, of, of someone we, we know or love, and, and just to think that suffering is just suffering. D.A. Carson goes on in his book later on to say, he says this, he says, death is God's limit on creatures whose sin is that they want to be gods. So do you know what death is? Death is God's way of finally pulling the card of showing us our true limitations, that we are not gods after. All sin can be described as us trying to be godlike, of us doing it our way, of ignoring God. And the reason why I like that quote so much is because all of us, every time we have a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering, a little bit of discouragement, we are tempted to blame God for our suffering. Suffering, But biblically speaking, the reason why we suffer, the reason why we die, is because of our own sin. I think the problem rests on this. We do not, listen, this is a really important point. We do not ever think that we are as bad as we actually are. And that usually can get understood when we suffer because we think, okay, Lord, I may be this bad. Therefore, I should only have to suffer this much. 
right? I, I, we, we kind of sometimes feel like the amount of which I'm suffering doesn't compare to how bad I've been. But let me tell you something. Just because you live a somewhat religious, moral life, and you try to do good, and maybe you even are a, a genuine, honest Christian, and you know that, that the gospel isn't moralism or behaviorism, that, that it's not just about doing rules, but you love God. But even in that, that does not mean that God guarantees us a pretty peaceful, tranquil, domesticated life where we die at age 92. God has every right to pull the card on our life at 20, 30, 10, 74, 36, well, whatever it is. And so this is where I want to take a small um, point and, and turn it into a better point. And this is where we have to understand that Jesus' suffering is different than ours. Why do we suffer? We suffer because of love, right? When we love God and we love people, we can suffer. Why else do we suffer? We suffer the flu, and we suffer death, and we suffer financial ruin, and drought, and, and ingrown toenails, and, you know, headaches. Why do we suffer? We suffer because of sin. Our own sin and the sin of the world. But how is Jesus' suffering different? When Jesus talks here about they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, I think there's a sense in which, yes, he, he does it for love. But, but how else is it different? Well, let me say it like this. None of our suffering can accomplish anything for our salvation. But his does. My own suffering, listen, my suffering, your suffering, it does nothing to win us favor with God. But his suffering does. No one else is suffering, no matter how holy or saintly that person may be, can earn God's forgiveness for my sins. But his does. The blood of the martyrs glorifies God and makes a bold witness to the world, but none of it can cleanse away my sin. But Jesus' does. If I should be persecuted and even die for my witness as a testimony to Jesus, I glorify God with my body. But that does not save me, and it does not save you either. Listen, guys, we suffer because we are sinners head to toe. Head to toe, you are a sinner. And to say that we should not suffer, I think ultimately is to deny, to deny that we are sinful. To say that I, I shouldn't have to suffer is to kind of say I shouldn't have to pay the consequences of my sin. And, and, and John would even say in 1 John that anyone who sees himself as someone who is without sin is deceived. So why does Jesus spend three times in the Gospel of Mark talking about his suffering? Why does it have to be repeated? Why should we take a night and focus uniquely on the suffering of Jesus? Because his suffering is so different. Do you want to know why? Because Jesus is without sin. 
there is no reason in Jesus that he should have to suffer. The the person who loved the most, the person who did no wrong, the person who never, ever sinned against their neighbor, the, the person who never undressed anyone in his eyes, the person who never said an ill word when they weren't around, the person who always gave grace and hospitality, the person who gave free bread and life and health to all he came across, suffered the most. Why? Because of you. He suffered because of you. That his suffering could appease the holy wrath of God. Martin Luther says this. In his suffering, the whole world is redeemed. The captives are set free. Heaven is opened. Hell is closed. And eternal life is won. This is the Savior that we have. Who through suffering saves the whole world. Who through suffering, the captives are set free. Through suffering, Heaven is opened. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? One, no one has ever suffered as much as Jesus. And, and it, here, here's what I here's what I want to say to that. Do you know sometimes like maybe you get a paper cut, but somebody like gets their finger chopped off, and you don't feel like if you, even if your finger cut really hurts, you don't feel like you have reason to complain to that person who got their finger chopped off. Do you know what I'm talking about a little bit? Like, um, like my best friend dies and someone who barely knew him on Facebook gave this long, sappy post, like, you didn't know him like I did, right? Like, it's one of those things. Like, but, but, but here's what I love about Jesus. One, he, he still cares about our small little paper cuts. He still desires for us to come to him with the hard stuff and to learn from our suffering. But, but here is the promise that no one has suffered as much as him. No one deserved to suffer as much as him. And and yet Jesus still walked into it willingly for you. Two, that that suffering, it does, and sorry to say it, like, who is it, Kelly Clarkson who sings it? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger? There's a small truth to that, that, that the suffering that we undergo can be a way in which God uses it to remind us of the suffering servant of Jesus. That if we are going to be in the way of Jesus, that one, we have to realize that, that if I follow him in obedience, it's going to be hard at times. And then here's what I'd say really quick, guys. If you have found in your Christian life that you don't really suffer for anything, that you don't find that, that waged war between sin and, your, your, and the spirit within you, if you don't at times lay down your life for those others than you, I think you need to ask yourself who you're really following. But two, as Christians, we have been, Christian faith has historically always understood that suffering is a way that God uses it to make us more into the image of Jesus. More into the image of Jesus. Last point. Why should we care that Jesus suffered? Because all throughout the Bible, do you know what was prophesied? about in the Old Testament 
over and over and over again of a suffering servant. Someone who would take the sins of the world, who would be crushed for our iniquities. And the reason Jesus has suffered, suffered was ultimately in order to fulfill all prophecy, to give us proof and confidence that, that in fact God's word is, is accurate and truthful. So, if Jesus doesn't suffer like us, if he doesn't suffer because of sin, he must only suffer for love. And let me tell you guys something. Don't for a second ever think that that suffering doesn't belong to you as well. Think of Jesus in the moments where you are suffering. Think of Jesus when, when you are just discouraged and you're mad and you want to shake your fist. And I want you to remember Jesus, ahead of the pack, disciples behind, dust in their tracks because he is on a one-way mission to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's on a mission to die for you, to suffer for you, to take your sins upon the world. He willingly, with a mission, backpack on, ready, heading up to Jerusalem, for you. And that ought to give us hope. That ought to remind us that at this suffering I'm undergoing, I can get through. Because Jesus willingly suffered for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this wonderful emphasis in the Gospel of Mark, Lord, that we are reminded that you suffered for us. Father, I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And that your grace is sufficient for us. But Father, I just pray that you give us meek and gentle hearts. Whenever we undergo suffering and we're tempted to, to raise our fists at you, or Lord, when we don't think that things are fair, I pray that we would be reminded of Jesus, our suffering servant, the slain lamb, and help us, Lord, to have hearts of thanksgiving and gratitude as we consider the work that Jesus has done for us. We pray all this in his wonderful and precious name. Amen.